Howdy, folks. Today, we are going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. I love, like all our lessons, I love this lesson. And I, there are some particular things that just really jump out at me. You know, if you know me, if you've been listening to me for a while, or if you're one of my brothers and sisters in Christ that know me personally, you know that I spent the first almost 15 years, 14.8 years of my life uh, living in an extremely, extremely sinful environment. I was in the world. I was of the world. I embraced sin, and the devil was certainly my father. Well, I understand what it is to live in the world, and I understand that even the Bible tells us that there is pleasure in sin. You know, in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of reward. Well, I was thinking as I was going through 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, where we're going to talk about Christians being instructed on how to love life and how to see good days, how to live in an evil world, how to have God listening to your prayers. I was thinking about my past, people of the world. Uh, just a few days ago, I talked about I talked uh, to a, a young fellow that walked away from Christ and is in the world, and and I, I saw the misery. Uh, in his face, in his eyes, in his words, that living in the world brings about. Felt terribly sorry for the young man. And I thought back in regard to this lesson uh, about my life in the world and about the things that I saw growing up, about the things that I experienced when I lived in sin. And I thought about it. You know, if you live the life of a faithful Christian, you're not worrying about sexually transmitted diseases. You're not worried about addiction issues. You're not going to get addicted to pills or drinks or any other type of, of drug, legal or otherwise, because you're going to be sober, right? First Peter 4, 7. If you're a faithful Christian, you're not going to be afraid to answer the phone because a bill collector may be calling. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my mother would open a credit card account. Sometimes in local stores, there, were, there was a store in Steubenville, Ohio. I don't know if it still exists, but it was called Denmark's. And it was a woman clothing store. And she opened a credit card. I don't even know how this is possible. But she opened a credit card, maxed it out, didn't make any payments. And then somehow opened a second credit card. I don't know whose name she used or whose social security number she used. Maybe maybe it was my brother's. I don't. I have no idea. But Denmark would call and ask to speak with her one name because her name was Carolyn K. Yeager. And then they would, would call another time and ask to speak with K. Yeager. And it was, I'm like, how does this happen? What's going on? Well, my mother would say, um, if they call asking for Carolyn, say I'm not home. And she lived like this, not just with the one place that I just mentioned, Denmark's, but a lot of different places. She just lived like this, just constantly dodging phone calls. She never answered the phone. Now, listen, as a young boy having girls call the house, I was cool with that. I, I was on the phone a lot. Uh, and, and I was glad that, you know, I could tell her, I think it was a bill collector. I mean, I, I embraced the world, you know? Well, just thinking about the life of a Christian, you can answer your phone. You're not looking over your shoulder, wondering what's going to happen. Police come knocking at my door when, uh, when I was young, and my brother would go out the other door. Uh, Mom would, would hide, want to know what it was. I mean, as a little boy, I'm, I'm running interference for my mother and my brother. That's the life of sin. The life of sin is one of being unsettled, unsure, lacking contentment, looking over your shoulder, 
all kinds of different things. You know, when my brother, um, I don't remember his age, but I know, I know it was in his teenage years, he contracted a sex sexually transmitted disease and he had to shave all the hair off his body. And we had to take precautions going to the one bathroom that we had. It was terrible. Other things that he faced. And you know what? Even when I was in the world, I mean, I saw enough to be a little bit wiser than a lot of worldly people were. Still, as a Christian, a faithful child of God, you don't have any of these things. You're not, you're not worrying about any of these things. See, because the pleasures of sin are just very, very temporary. And the consequences affect you not only in the life to come, but also in the present. And I love what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and I'm not going to focus so much on the negative of everything that I just brought up right there. I'm just sharing with you some things that run through my mind as, as I'm studying and preparing through this text. You know, as Christians, you don't have to grow up in the world. You can just let God's word guide you to be aware, to be diligent, to be wise, to understand that the days are evil. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Looking at the world, and a Christian can see it for what it is, because we know the whole world lieth in wickedness, 1 John 5 and verse 19. So as you study through the scriptures, even if you're blind with your carnal eyes, the, your spiritual insight will give you an illumination of this world, and you'll realize things about life. You know, Solomon in the book Ecclesiastes go through, goes through this in, inner turmoil. And and listen, it, it's it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's great for us who are in Christ because we have a hope that Solomon was not necessarily aware of. But Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.18, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more you learn, the more you see, it's sad. You know, you see the world for the evil that it is. It's one thing to cite uh, 1 John 5, 19. It's another thing to understand it when you look at it, and to see it, and to see what sin has done to the world at large. And then you think about life. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 6, 11, and 12 says, Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in his life? All the days of his life vain which he spendeth as a shadow for who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun you know nobody knows what's next now we do it in christ we know that there's paradise and torment and then ultimately in eternity there's heaven and hell but in the in the immediate we don't know what's next and there's mystery to it solomon didn't know what was next period so in Ecclesiastes 7.14, he says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. What's next, right? Ecclesiastes 11.8 says, But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. When you're reading through these types of statements, and then you look at the world and you really think about it. All the things that people revel in, all the joy that they grasp, it is so very temporary. And then when you look at how things get bad and worse, and you know, there's cycles throughout history, throughout the Bible, throughout secular history, where things are, are better than worse, than better than worse, and the worst periods last longer than the better periods, right? When the Bible warns us, Paul to Timothy uh, was talking to Timothy, not not even about looking at uh, 2024, but his work as an evangelist. He said, 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we see things get worse, right? So with those observations, I and you ought to be interested 
and instructions that would tell us how to live godly in a present evil world and to be able to enjoy life rather than to go into states of depression. In the 128th Psalm 1 through 6, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like all the plants round about thy table, behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. So God, through this psalm, and think about the children of Israel are singing these songs, right? Talking to them about fearing him, walking in his ways. That will have an impact on the present days. Regarding the wealthy, in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19, Solomon writes, Behold, that which I've seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power, meaning he's authorized it, to eat thereof and to take his portion and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. In the new covenant, 1 Timothy 6, 17, charge unto the rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trusting in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You know, look, if you'd have asked me when I was 12 years old what it meant to be a religious person, I'm not sure that I would have had the concept if you would have said Christian, because I, I just I, I just had no grasp of anything. I, I know we had a Bible in the house, but I, I never opened the pages of it for any reason. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have grasped some of the language, but I would have thought religion equals zero fun. I would have thought being religious means being on your knees 24 hours a day, praying to God. That That was what I would have thought and what I did think when I heard, you know, any kind of religious uh, talk. Yet, when you look at God's real true desire for us as his children, is that we enjoy life. Righteousness does not have to be accompanied with misery. In Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice ye righteous. Shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. Romans 5, 11, not only so, but we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we all have received the atonement. Galatians 5, after the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21, those people that will not see the kingdom of heaven, says in verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Did you hear that? Peace. Did you hear that? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, without meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. God doesn't forbid us as Christians, from enjoying life in this world. That is a total misconception. And of course, the world wants to spell it that way. The world wants to make it look like Christians don't enjoy anything. You know, just let me give you just a, a logical observation, okay? When you look at the Bible, God gives Christians a liberty to esteem one day above another, Romans 14 and verse 5. He also gives you liberty in that same verse to esteem every day alike. And he tells him, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So as a Christian, you can celebrate different days out of the year if you so choose to, and you don't have a conflict in conscience or cause somebody that's weak to stumble. So let's just use something that happens in most places of the world, and, and just happened a couple of months ago, New Year's Eve celebration, where a new year is dawning and coming in, and 2023 is going away, and 2024 is coming in, right? When you look at the world, a lot of people celebrate that night with alcohol. And many, 
and this was my experience in my childhood, to the extent that they can't even remember the celebration the next day as they're seeking to get away from the effects alcohol has in what is commonly known as a quote-unquote hangover, okay? So as a child, I was part of that. In fact, before I was even in elementary school, I knew how to play certain alcohol-related games, like there would be a little shot glass on the table, and you'd bounce a quarter off of the table and see if you could get it into the shot glass. And if you missed, you had to drink. And as a kid, as a child, my mother actually had me playing that game with them with vodka, uh, an alcoholic beverage, and it's crazy, right? I've experienced it even before I could read, write, or spell. I knew how to play a game called quarters. I also knew how to take orange juice and mix it into a drink called a screwdriver. Before I was in kindergarten, I knew this. I also knew what happened on New Year's Day. That was the day of the greatest hangovers in my household. They didn't enjoy New Year's Eve celebrations. They spent the next day suffering through the consequences. A Christian, on the other hand, could say, I'm going to celebrate the coming in of a new year. And without the effects of drugs and alcohol, because that was part of what I witnessed too, without the effects of that, a Christian can remember the previous night. We can enjoy food without throwing it up. We can enjoy snacks without being sick. And we can wake up the next day and be able to function fully and wholly, having brought in the new year with a celebration with our friends, our brethren, our family, however we so choose to do so. The world doesn't get to experience celebrations like Christians do. We do it without consequences in the flesh or in the spirit. They party hard with consequences both in the flesh and in the spirit. So our text today in 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the faith of, or the face, I'm sorry, face of the Lord is against them that do evil. That's 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. It comes from a psalm. Psalm 34, 12 through 16. You know, this is great because we who are faithful in Christ, we know that whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Romans 15 and verse four. Here's just one of many examples where a New Testament lesson is being taught from a psalm of old. Psalm 34, 12 through 16 reads slightly different. It says, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, his ears open their cry, face of the Lord against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So there's slight variations, but very similar points. And it's all very logical. I love the scriptures. The scriptures make complete an entire sense, especially when you have seen the world without rose-tinted goggles. You know, just think about my earlier illustration about a New Year's Eve uh, celebration. Somebody, and, and the way the psalm was written, you know, loveth many days. My brother, seven years older than I, is dead. My mother, dead. You know, part of what affected them in their lives, my brother didn't die of natural causes, but you know what affected both of them? Their health was shot because of drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. 
heavily affected their physical and mental health and certainly cost them their souls. They did not see good days. They did not, as the Psalm says, uh, their love many days. My brother's been gone for a long time. Long time. Well, me as a Christian, walking away from that life, I've learned to love life. You know, Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. And you know, we can, we can look at this both in the physical and in the spiritual. 1 Timothy 4, 8 covers it like this. Uh, to Timothy, Paul writes by inspiration, for bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Notice, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. That's it right there. Your physical, your mental, your spiritual health is going to be better when you are in Christ than when you are in the world. You take the same person and we know this is not possible, but just for the sake of an illustration, you took that same person and had them live 30 years as a faithful Christian versus 30 years as a person of the world, that person who has lived 30 years as a faithful child of God is going to be better off than the person who has lived according to the rules of this world. Now, we who are in Christ get to enjoy the life that now is, and certainly, we get to enjoy the life to come. We're looking forward to it, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14 says, The day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, when the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So when we're, when we're reading that text, right, we're considering how we ought to conduct ourselves as we look forward to the return of our Lord. But looking forward doesn't mean that you can't enjoy now. Ecclesiastes 8.15, then I commend mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and drink and be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth unto the sun. That's the carnal aspect where we can enjoy the fruit of our labor. We can use this world in the context of, of, of those that choose to get married. 1 Corinthians 7.31, they that use this world as not abusing it, well, the fashion of this world passed away. We can enjoy this world. We can use this world. We can reap the benefits of living in this world, enjoy the authorized carnal things of this world, as long as we don't love them, as long as we don't go into the lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And that's able to be accomplished because we recognize that it's all temporary, that if it's of this world, it's temporary. So we love the things of this world in a temporary way. We know it's not eternal. We're not trying to hold on to it. Because in Christ, our old selves, maybe you're listening to this and maybe you haven't experienced the depths of sin that I have, uh, but you're a Christian. For me, I'm very thankful that I get to start afresh. You know, I, I'm very thankful that my sins were washed away, regardless whether you've had a very sinful past or not. In Christ, you have a new life, Romans 6 and verse 4. Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism and the death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. You have become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're a new creation. You're a new creature. You have newness of life. You can enjoy this world 
without abusing this world with a spiritual outlook. Even when we look back on the days of old where Israel was under the carnal law of Moses, and you can see the difference between the carnality of the law of Moses and the spiritual in Christ in Romans chapter 7 and 8. So even of old, Israel was being told under a carnal law that they could have a good life and even prolonged days if they obeyed God. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Of course, we who are in Christ, our promised land is in, is in heaven. But for them that were under the law of Moses, their promised land was in the land of Canaan. And they looked forward to going there. And as long as they were faithful to God, they would have had that land that floweth with milk and honey. They'd have had that good life. Now, you know, if you've studied the Old Testament, that Israel's faithful days were far fewer than their unfaithful days. So they got to enjoy life not anywhere near as much had they come to the full obedience to God that God intended for them. Now, Solomon wrote similar principle in Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. Uh, my son, forget not my law, but love thine heart, keep thy commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Now, under the law of Moses had a different meaning than now, but still, you know, there's still that Romans 15, 4, we can learn from this, right? It says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them upon thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and, and marrow to thy bones. It is certainly beneficial to us in the flesh to obey God, to have that stress taken away to be able to look at things with hope. You know, again, the, the promise of old, they were going to inherit a physical land. But in principle, we who are in Christ are even going to have better extended physical lives because things aren't going to hit us as hard, right? Proverbs 12, 25 says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it to stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Well, that good word that we have, the hope of the gospel, the hope of eternal life, not only the life that now is, but the life to come is going to give us a better physical outlook in this world than if we weren't in Christ. All things equal, saying that, you know, I, there are things that happen that have nothing to do with anything like accidents or, uh, you know, injury. You know, you could be climbing up a ladder and fall off. You being a Christian isn't going to change the outcome of you falling off that ladder any more than it would anybody else, right? I hope you can understand the principles I'm trying to give you. I'll trust that you can. We can choose to see good days by having a proper focus. This is where the mental side comes in, right? Psalm 9 verse 2, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise thy name, O thou most high. Romans 12 verse 2 says, rejoicing in hope patient tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. In Philippians 3.1, the saints in Philippi, Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, to write the same things to you to me indeed is, is not grievous, but to you it is safe. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be glad and rejoice in our God. Now, we wouldn't look around this world and we could fall into a trap. If you remember Job, when you read the first two chapters of the book of Job, Job is faithful and Satan inflicts him with terrible, horrible physical things, uh, both of the taking away of his possessions, much of his physical family, and then an attack on his own health. And in the first two chapters, Job maintains his faithfulness to God. But then when you get to chapter three, it just goes downhill from there. He opens his mouth in vanity against God, and he focuses on all the bad that has happened to him. Well, Job 7, 7. Oh, remember that my life is wind. My eye shall see. My eye shall no more see good. That, Christians ought not be like that. 
We have, no matter how much the world round about us is crumbling, good. And we can enjoy the things that we have even, even when things are bad. And that is the context from which Peter is writing. Remember, the saints that are being addressed by Peter in this letter known as 1 Peter, they're facing a trial of faith, 1 Peter 1 and verse 7. Yet being told to rejoice would, because they have the end of their faith, the salvation of their souls, 1 Peter 1 and verse 9. From our lesson here in verses 10 through 12, we are then going to be going back to talking about persecution. Folks, these saints physically, they have plenty of reason to gripe if they so choose to do so. They're strangers scattered throughout different areas, Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, etc. If they want to focus on we're being persecuted for Christ and our lives are terrible, they're going to miss the joy that's there. So if they are being told that they can love life and see good days while they're facing persecution, we can as well. And, and it's all based on our perspective. Think about it. Luke 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. It's about your perspective. You can tear me down. You can put me down in this world. Don't worry, don't worry about that. My father's going to lift me up in the world to come. So I'm just going to put a smile on my face and I'm going to enjoy the things that God has given me. You know what? Whether that's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a cracker, a steak, whatever it is, eat it and enjoy it. Whether that's a sunny day or a rainy day, I enjoy the sunny a lot better than the rainy. <laughs> But enjoy it. Be thankful that you got air flowing through your body and your blood is it has oxygen in it. Rejoice that you can breathe. Now, if you want to be able to enjoy good days and you want to be able to love life, Peter gives some instructions here. The Spirit moves him to say, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So in the book of James, where they too are scattered, and James 1 and verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. If you go down a little bit further to James 1, 26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to control our tongues. That will help us to see good days and enjoy this life. We have to have wisdom in this, right? In Psalm 39, 1 and 2, Psalmist writes, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. Notice the next point. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb, meaning mute with silence. I held my peace even from good and my sorrow was stirred. So this applies to what we're talking about now, what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. Don't give people a stick to beat you with. We know as Christians, there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. And when the wicked are before us who want to capture our words and use them against us, we're going to be cautious. In Proverbs 15 verse 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge or right, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And under the new covenant, the saints in Colossae are told in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about redeeming the time because the days are evil, right? He says, let your speech be always grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer 
every man. We'll be talking about that in 1 Peter 3.15. We need to think before we speak. We might have the right things to say, but what about the right time to say them? In context of considering who in the world is listening to us, we need to understand the danger of our tongues. In Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. There used to be a young man that I would talk about this verse to all the time because he had no clue when to shut up. And I'd tell him, hey, listen, the more you talk, the more trouble you're going to get into. The more you talk, the more trouble you get With man and the Lord, no, it's time to guard that tongue. The instruction to speak no guile, this is familiar to us because we've covered it in this epistle already. In 1 Peter 2.22, talking about Jesus who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. No craftiness, no deceit is what that meant since we've already covered that in previous lesson. I won't spend a whole lot of time there, but guard your tongue, use it aright. That's going to help you have enjoyable days, prolonged life in this world. Next, to have those good days, let him eschew evil and do good. This is real simple. I mean, again, do we really need God to tell us this? I mean, it's not, it's not beyond like, it's not miraculous knowledge. I mean, it's a pretty logical conclusion, isn't it? Well, Psalm 37, 27 says, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Real simple, right? In Proverbs 4, 13 through 18, take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy wife. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not, except they've done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Well, hey, I, I, I'm going to avoid evil. I'm going to stay away from it, right? And Psalm 97, 10, ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the soul of the saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. It's, I, it's avoidable because I don't even like it. I love God and God is good. Therefore, I hate the contrary, right? To be otherwise minded would be hypocrisy. That is exactly what Romans 12, 9 says. Let love be without dissimulation. That word means hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. If I am a godly person, then I hate ungodliness. Stands to reason, right? Stands to reason. And if I look at life, not only in the immediate, but in the eternal, I understand I'm going to reap what I sow, right? In the judgment day, John 5, 28, 29, marvel not at this, the hour is coming, and the which they are in the grace show his voice, shall come forth, they that have done good on the resurrection of life, they that have done evil on the resurrection of damnation. But you also know it in the flesh, and you don't even need, you don't even need the Bible to tell you that what a man sows, he's going to reap, Galatians 6, 7, that there are both eternal and temporal consequences to that. You can see it in the world around you. I mean, look at people. I'll just use alcoholism since I've kind of brought it up several times in this podcast. But look at people that are caught up in alcohol. It, whether or not they drink a little or a lot, even the social drinker, as they go through age, there are physical problems like cirrhosis of the liver that come upon them. And it's because the choices they've made about what they put into their bodies. I had a stepfather one time. Um, his name was Bob. And this guy, I mean, he got off work. He worked at uh, Wheeling Pittsburgh Steel in Mingo Junction, Ohio. And uh, I don't know that it still exists, but uh, this was back in, in the 80s, uh, 1980s. And this man would get off work. And he couldn't go 10 minutes. He would walk out of work and he would come down these stairs and he would go off the stairs. He's downtown Mingo Junction and right there's a bar 
and he'd go in and every single day he had to have at least a bottle of beer before he even came home. And then on his way home, he would hit this store called La Presto's and he would get a six pack of beer and he'd come home and he'd already be drinking. Leprestos was, let's see, one, two, three blocks away. And he's driving three blocks away from the apartment we lived in. And he's already got that can of beer open. It was insane, but he needed it to function. And his mental capacity by the time the sun dropped on the day, was entirely gone every single day. Well, he also reaped what he sowed. His brain was fried, had all kinds of physical ailments, heart, kidney, liver problems. Folks, you pay for it when you choose a life of sin. Now and in the world to come. That's the truth. That's the truth. Doing good, when we define good, we don't get to write that script. We don't get to say, this is what is good. You know, think about what the drug dealer thinks. The drug dealer says, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm a servant in my community. I'm helping people feel better, right? While they're dealing drugs that are causing people to die, I'm helping them feel better. I'm Dr. Feelgood. I know. I've known drug dealers that looked at it that way. That was what they would say. I'm doing good for the community. Come on, man. Who defines good? 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in God, or which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God, through his word, defines good. So if we're going to avoid evil and do good, that's going to be God's definition, not yours. From there, eschew evil and do good. From that, Peter said, let him seek peace and ensue it or follow after it. I love this. You know how many people I've met in life that like chaos? It makes no sense to me. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And <laughs> but there are people that just want to have chaos in their lives. They want to have chaos even when they go and quote-unquote worship the Lord. They like it when there's conflict in churches. I have no idea why they, there are people like that. But God does not want us to be like that. In a context of authorized liberties, Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. If we follow this, we're going to be at peace with those that we live around, shop around, work around, and by all means, those whom we serve God with. Now, the unfortunate thing about life in this world is godly living, the previous point, eschewing evil and doing good, unfortunately, is going to bring about division. And that is the Lord's doing. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34 through 39, Think not I'm come to send peace on earth. I'm come not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's foes should be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. And Luke Chapter 12, verse 50 through, 51 through 53. It says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be 
five and one house divided three against two and two against three. The father should be divided against the son, son against father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So there is inevitably going to be division in this world. But for us who are in Christ, this is how we overcome that. We come among our brethren. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author, meaning the source of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Being a member of the Lord's body, this world's going to have division because light and darkness do not coexist in the same realm peacefully. You know, God is a light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1 verse 5. And in that context, 1 John 1, 1, 1, John 1, 1 through 2, 6, our fellowship is with those that are in the light. That is going to cause division. When you let your light shine like we ought to, light exposes darkness darkness. And people hate that. They hated Jesus for that. John 3, 19 through 21, this is condemnation. Light has come to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth come to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So therein is simplicity and truth, right? Sometimes, because this world and the way this world is and the way that light just exposes darkness, we can't always be among our brethren. So we need to be able to escape in our, in, in, into our own minds. And therein we can find peace. In Isaiah 26, 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. A New Testament uh, context, Philippians 4, 6-8, be careful, meaning anxious, for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So we need to redirect our thoughts when we're not among the saints, away from the division that light and darkness have in this world into the peace that's in Christ. So whether we're in the assembly or outside the assembly, God has equipped the faithful with a means whereby we may be at peace so that we can love life and see good days. He then talks about prayer. He says, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears open their prayers. Face the Lord against them that do evil. This goes back to Philippians 4, 6 to 8. I have an avenue of prayer where I can enjoy life because I've got somebody to talk to no matter where I am. I mean, Paul and Silas, they were arrested. They were put in prison because they cast out an unclean spirit in Acts 16, 16 and following. And you know what they did in Acts 16, 25? They prayed and sang praises unto God. In the worst of situations, you and I who are in Christ have an escape route through prayer. It's a privilege. Privilege for God's people. In Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. And we see this, right? We see this. This isn't that God is incapable of hearing or seeing wickedness in this world. You know, in Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and evil. He tells the children of Israel in Isaiah 59, 1 through 3, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. It's not that he can't see, it's not that he can't hear, but sin separates God from man. This is about whom God looks upon favorably. In Psalm 66, 18 and 19, 
Psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended the voice of my prayer. In Proverbs 28, verse 9, he that turneth away his ear from the hearing of law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. The blind man that was healed by Jesus, now says in John 9, 31, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and a doer doeth his will, him he heareth. You want to have good life now and to come? See good days now and to come? Refrain your tongue from evil? Control your lips not to be deceptive? Don't speak with craftiness? Avoid evil. Do good the way that God tells you to do good. Seek after peace. Follow it. And use the privilege of prayer so that you are never alone. And whatever this world throws at you, you'll be able to either have a smile on your face or in your heart. Because as a child of God, these are benefits we have that are unknown to the world. Next week, we're going to pick up in 1 Peter 3, 13. And we're going to try to work our way down through verse 17. That's at least my plan right now says, who is he that will harm you if be followers of that which is good? And then he goes on to say, but and if, so that clarifies, right? It's not by doing good you won't suffer. We should know that, right? should be logical. But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil. We will pick that up next week if all goes according to plan. I'm looking forward to it. I hope this lesson, if you're a faithful child of God, has been beneficial to you. If it's not, I hope that you can look at this lesson and see what you're missing. We who are in Christ have a peace that you don't. I'd love to study with you and help you find it. Please get in touch with me, and I'd be glad to study the Bible. I thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, I'll be back on Tuesday. Until then, I will say goodbye.